Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Glad to have you with us here on American Family Radio and all of our affiliates that carry this program as well. Hopeforthecaregiver.com if you want some more information. Hopeforthecaregiver.com if you want to be a part of the show, if you got something you want to talk about, if you got something you want us to address on the program or maybe even want to call from the program, we'll be glad to do that. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there you can fill out. And while you're there, look around at some of the other things that we have for you as a caregiver. From books, music, to articles we've written. Uh, just There's so many things out there that we put as resources for you. Please take advantage of it at hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hey, let's face it. Most people don't know what to say when they're encountering someone struggling with a, you know, a tough time, a divorce, a, a broken relationship, a tragedy, or other painful realities. You ever heard that? You know, I, I, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. And then if you are struggling with something and you run into those individuals, they kind of try to box it up to say things like, you know, maybe just put it behind you. Or, or don't look in the rearview mirror, or that's in the past. You know, that kind of sounds like good advice, you know, to keep moving forward. But, but is it? As a caregiver, have you ever felt like there are times when you, you need to just look at it for what it is? I believe that there are times when we need to acknowledge the magnitude of someone's heartache and that it's appropriate to do so. And for lack of better words, sifting through the mess and assessing the destruction is required. You know, recovery takes time. And part of the process is meticulously inspecting the damage. Now, that doesn't mean we have to obsess over things, but it is okay to take a proper inventory. You know, any any insurance adjuster, how many of you all are insurance adjusters or, or have ever worked with one? And you've had an event that happened at your house, you know, a tornado, a fire, some kind of damage, property damage, whatever. And that insurance adjuster comes out and they've got a clipboard and they kind of go through a list of things to see what's what's happened here. And they give a ballpark estimate or sometimes a very detailed estimate of what it's going to take to fix this, if it's a total loss, if it can be repaired, all of those things. Well, what about doing that in our lives? Do we ever do that in our lives through our own challenges? You know, we, we live with a lot of loss as caregivers. We live with a lot of damage and carnage along the way. It takes a toll on us. And a lot of times caregivers mistakenly think, well, all right, we're just going to get to this point, and if we can just get them to stop doing this, then we'll be happy. If we can just get them to behave differently, then we'll be okay. If we can just contain this situation, then we can take it from there. Does that work? Has that ever worked for you? 
What about when we say, okay, we're just going to get mama to Jesus, you know, and, and, and we get to the cemetery and, and our work as caregiver is, is, is done and, and we're able to go live our life now happily. Does that work? You know, a lot of caregivers painfully discover that the journey doesn't end for them as a caregiver at the cemetery. It's a hard reality. And all too many caregivers are now able to attest to the lasting impact of caring for an impaired loved one long after they're gone. And I personally, this is just me, my personal opinion. It's not my experience as such because I'm still a caregiver. I'm 36 years into this. I haven't had post-caregiving experiences. I firmly believe that caregivers struggle with some form of PTSD. How many of you are nodding your head on that one? And you still stay in those wounds and you can't get out of them. Does that resonate with you all? If it does, I'd really like to hear it because I, I can't, I mean, I'm not a statistician, so I can't come up with all kinds of reports and so forth, but I do think that there needs to be some in investigative work on this that we discover if indeed this is happening, because I believe it is. Caregivers are ignored by and large in our society. We're an invisible army of 65 million. And the, the symptoms of PTSD in caregivers are going to be just as ignored as the caregiver is. So I'm calling attention to this because I believe it's there. And I've talked to enough health professionals that I feel like we got a case for it. So I think that's something worth exploring but in the meantime we've got to live with this whether we can document it or not with healthcare professionals we still got to live with it so what do we do well there are trained professionals along with loving family and friends that can help us navigate a path to healing we can do this there are people who can help us with this and we have to be very selective on who we choose for that. A lot of times it starts with your family physician, your, your primary care physician, just checking your blood pressure. You know, how is your blood pressure? As a caregiver, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know. I've struggled with mine. Not hugely, but enough that, you know what, I'm going to have to do something about this. And so I, I take a blood pressure medicine. Don't like it, but because I don't like him to take. I'm in pretty good health otherwise, but you know I'm I'm going to try to work on that with exercise and diet and so forth. But in the meantime, something I had to I had to deal with. How's yours? Do you respect the stress that you're under? Do you respect if you're no longer a caregiver? Do you respect the stress that you were under? And the long term implications of that on your body. And that is what the whole point of this opening monologue here is, is that the first step towards healing for us as caregivers always involves thoroughly inspecting 
and respecting the trauma. We as caregivers endure relentless trauma over our tenure as caregivers. There's just crisis after crisis after crisis. You know, we were, we were designed to have these spikes of adrenaline and, and so forth as human beings, but that was to kill tigers, you know, fight off a bear. We're killing tigers every day as caregivers. Have you noticed that, the stress levels that we deal with? How many tigers have you already faced today? Or do you anticipate facing today? Are you inspecting that trauma? Are you taking an inventory of this? Stem to stern, your physical health, your emotional health, your financial health. Are you respecting the trauma of what it's done to you and your wallet? Have you taken an honest assessment of what this has done to you spiritually? The kind of questions that you've asked about your faith, about God. Have you sat down with somebody who's been able to kind of work through with those things, who doesn't judge you for asking those things and taking an honest assessment and getting folks that you can trust to give you some good counsel in this. And sometimes, yes, it's a counselor, okay? Sometimes it's a professional counselor who's got some real seasoning to them. But sometimes it's a good financial person, a good business person who can help you kind of sort through the craziness and come up with a plan to rebuild. Tony Snow said, and I love Tony's, I miss him terribly. We've got to rebuild human hearts and persuade people that hope isn't just possible, but it's essential. How's your heart? Does it need to be rebuilt? This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Millions of persecuted believers, they're suffering, and they can use your prayers and financial support right now. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International in the country of Zambia, the place where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church. He had word that there was an attack coming one Sunday, and sure enough, 20 radicals showed up in attempt to kill all the Christians gathered for worship in that service, about 200 in number. Now, in self-defense, Shadrach had a handgun. He used it on a man named Ishmael, didn't kill him, but he injured him, but nursed him back to health. He was a livestock farmer, so he took care of the man's livestock. The daughter of that man could not read, could not write, so Shadrach would teach her to read and write using a Bible League program. And I can tell you, in grateful response, the entire family and 80 former radicals have come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They need Bibles at $5 a Bible. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives every day, even children. Do you know the average age of a child who is trafficked is 12 years old? I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and help end this human tragedy. 8 Days of Hope has decided to be a part of that solution. God's opened up a door for us to partner with existing ministries, and that's where we bring skilled volunteers to renovate, rebuild, or remodel facility for survivors to receive the emotional, physical, and spiritual healing they need. If you're skilled in any trade and you want to use your gifts for a greater purpose, please contact us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com. We would love for you to join us on our next project. For more information about the ministry of 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Where there's a treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm treading. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as the family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. That is Gary Chapman, and that is one of my all-time favorite songs, period. I just love that song. I, I've told you many times, those of you who listened to the program for a while know, I mean, I, I remember the where I was sitting the first time I heard it. For some reason, that song just nailed me, and 40-something years later, I, I still just love hearing it every time. We're talking about respecting the trauma. Uh, we, we talked about this in the last block, and I, I wanted just to kind of build on that a little bit. We just finished the Easter season, and you're, I want to go back and read something in Mark sixteen seven. Mark sixteen seven. Let me back up to 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. I, I want to just stop with just two words. And Peter. And Peter. Now, certainly my name is Peter, and so therefore I've always resonated with that particular verse. And Peter. Why did he single Peter out? These angels were messengers from God, and this is a clear to me, indication that God was very much interested in Peter's trauma. God recognized the heartache that Peter was enduring after denying Jesus three times. And to me, that's extraordinary. And let me read a couple more verses here just to give to, to paint this picture. Um, Matthew 9 Seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And if you read that in the, that was the, I believe, the New American Standard. If you read that in the message, here's the same thing in the message. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He's taught in their their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers, on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet not without sin. And you can look through the Psalms, and you see multiple references, lengthy references, on how the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And you get a picture of God that says he does respect the trauma. He respects our trauma. That our distress moves him. And you see this over and over and over. 
So my question is, why are we not doing this for ourselves and for those around us, respecting their trauma? Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Do we do that? Do we genuinely rejoice with people when they have wonderful blessings in their lives? Or do we envy them? Or do we feel bitterness because we're not having those things? As caregivers, a lot of things are elusive to us. But do we rejoice with those who are having wonderful things in their lives? I'll give you an example. This may be a bit personal, but I don't think she'll mind me sharing it. I watched Johnny Erickson Tata. I posted a video of Gracie standing in the hospital after this surgery. And she's walking down the hallway, and it's taken an enormous amount of effort to do it. And this huge surgery, she's put it on her prosthetic legs, and she's walking down the hallway. And Johnny texted me and, and, and called me on FaceTime and so forth, and we talked. And she genuinely rejoiced that Gracie was able to do this. But Johnny can't stand. But she rejoiced that Gracie could. And there's a song that Gary Chapman wrote for Gracie. And I can't wait for you all to hear it. I, I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. And Johnny and Gracie were singing in the hospital with my friend Stephen on the guitar. And there's this sense of great excitement for both of them. And this song reflects what's going to happen to them in eternity. But right now they're rejoicing together. But I watched Johnny do this and I thought, wow, she was genuinely rejoicing. Not envious, not feeling sorry for herself, but rejoicing in what was going on with Gracie and respecting her trauma. And do we mourn with those who mourn? Do we know what that means? Do we know what it means to sit with somebody in the mess that has befallen them and just to sit with them and respect the trauma and accept the reality of what has happened? It's hard to do these things. It takes something out of us. It takes a humility to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. I think it takes a great humility. And our Savior has demonstrated this over and over and over again throughout all of Scripture. And that he is seeing these things. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this quote. I love this quote. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Do we regard each other in the light of what we suffer? And I look at this as caregivers, and I think we sometimes become so myopic about our own suffering. It becomes so upfront to us. It's, it's like holding your hand in front of your face, and it obscures everything else that we can't see what's going on around us. 
And when we step back away from that, when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us step back away from that and detach just a hair to gain a better perspective, it allows us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn in a much more healthier manner, like Scripture is asking us to do. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, Scripture talks about, the Messiah. Back in Isaiah, he said this, 700 years before Christ was born. And he looked out at the, 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 the masses and he saw them, and his heart was moved. And then you see this past, passage in Scripture where it says, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, where many think that the Gospel of Mark was dictated to John Mark by Peter. Many scholars believe that. You have to go talk to some scholars about that, but that's what they seem to believe. But how much more important than those two words, if that is indeed the case, where Peter was dictating this account to Mark, when he said, go and tell his disciples and Peter. And so how about us understanding that our names can be inserted in that just as much. For those of, those of us who feel like we have dropped the ball, we have let God down, we have messed this thing up so badly, do you understand that the God we serve says, go and tell his disciples and you and me. And each one of us, we're after that and. Does that, does that resonate with you? Does that connect with you? Do you understand that he knows you by name and he sees your trauma? And once you understand that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, sees and respects your trauma, then take that next step of faith, respect it yourself, and then export that to respecting other people's trauma. That is what I believe these scriptures all point towards. Bear one another's burdens. Paul says in Corinthians, comfort one another with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from the God of all comfort. It starts with him and flows through us and to each other. This is what I believe that has happened to our society in this great disconnect that we have in our society where the, the mask and the isolation and the COVID and everything else pulled us all apart from each other and we, we were struggling along in isolation and we've got to be communal in this. We've got to corporately come together and worship and, and build each other up. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. You know that, that tune? And, 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 and or blessed be the tie that binds these are, these are songs that mean something, that we are connected with this, and that we are connected by a Savior who understands and respects our trauma. Just as we tried to grasp during Easter week the trauma he endured, but we can't. We can't even grasp it. But he condescends to us to respect ours. Ask caregivers. 
as caregivers. Not just your loved one's trauma, not just Gracie's trauma, Peter's trauma. And Peter and you. He sees this. And I felt that some of you may need to hear that this morning. And be strengthened by the fact that you have a God who knows your heartbreak and speaks to it. That's hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. Can you imagine for even just a second how many things in this country need to be handled? Can we say border? Can we say the budget, funding the military? Can we say all of the things that are just completely neglected because our congressmen in Washington, the Democrats who lead the House and establish what's discussed there, they have all control on impeaching the president. So that's what all they're doing. That's all they're doing. Sandy Rios in the morning. Weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. The Raising Godly Boys Minute with Mark Hancock. Two of the most difficult words for a parent to say are, I'm sorry. Are you saying them enough? As parents, we should ask for forgiveness from our kids if we lose our temper or don't control our tongue, or if we jump to conclusions without gathering the necessary facts. The difficulty is that we can feel vulnerable, inadequate, and even slightly humiliated when apologizing. But here's the truth. Your son or daughter will grow to love and respect you even more if you apologize. Humbling yourself demonstrates, through action, a love so strong that you are willing to admit wrong in order to restore the relationship. Saying sorry isn't easy, but your example goes a long way in helping your children see what true spiritual maturity looks like. For more encouragement and parenting advice, visit Trail Life USA or RaisingGodlyBoys.com. Free help in Raising Godly Boys is at RaisingGodlyBoys.com. RaisingGodlyBoys.com Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you're with us. Go to HopeForTheCaregiver.com if you want to see some more information about the program, about the podcast, about the book, about the music from Gracie and me, the articles that I write. I've got quite a few out there. I, I take a moment here. I've got a Tribune Media picked up another one of my commentaries, and you can see that in multiple papers. If you go out to Right now, onto the Hope for the Caregiver site, just click on the About, where it says Media. Just click on Media, and you'll see all the stuff that I've written on there. Just go or just go to hopeforthecaregiver.com slash media, and you'll see the various commentaries that I've put out there in places such as Fox News, Tribune Media content, which distributes to all the Tribune Media family of papers and publications and so forth. Washington Times has a new article that I wrote about 
politicians who don't retire when cognitively they, they should. And there's some things in there that I make a point on. And, and also the, the trap that people fall into as enablers. You see, the, the, the celebrities and the, these political figures and so forth, they have an industry around them, and that industry is fueled by that celebrity remaining on stage, that politician remaining in office. And all too often, once they get out there, they don't want to let that go, and nor does their team or their family or whatever. And I, I let off with the um, story of Woodrow Wilson, who was very, very sick. He had a stroke, and he was in pretty bad shape. And his wife, Edith, covered extensively for him, and the public didn't know it. And she, by her own definition in her book called My Memoir, she basically threw herself into making sure that anything that got to him, she'd already filtered through what was important, what needed to go to him to have his actual signature on and things such as that, even though he was very impaired. And she declares that she never made a single decision regarding the uh, disposition of public affairs. But she failed to recognize that she was making those decisions every day by deciding what went to her husband who was struggling from the after effects of a stroke and other issues that he had. And the American people didn't elect her. They elected Woodrow Wilson. But they wouldn't let him step aside. And that's one of the reasons that the 25th Amendment was put in place. When a president is impaired, the 25th Amendment is there to make that transition smoother, smoothly, and hopefully, and the vice president steps in at that point. If the vice president can't step in, then the Speaker of the House steps in. If the Speaker of the House can't step in, then the Speaker pro tem. And in this particular article that's in the Washington Times right now, I reference a story about Senator Strom Thurmond from South Carolina, my home state, who was the Speaker pro tem, fourth in line to the presidency in his 90s and was not cognitively... Well, you be the judge. You read it. And uh, I also referenced another representative, you may remember this from the news, who was concerned that overpopulation on the island of Guam would cause the island to tip over. They were looking at staffing a bunch of Marines there. And, you know, there are a lot of times where these politicians will outstay their cognitive abilities. Why? Who's driving this? Who's the one that dims the spotlight? And, you, you know, you've seen a lot of this with, with um, celebrities who careen out on stage filled with drugs and alcohol, but they got managers and booking agents and everybody else that's invested in making a salary of that celebrity staying out there. This happened to Elvis, and he had to just continue going out there, even though he really needed to take a step back. And you can go through a line of them, Whitney Houston and others. It, it's just really tragic how these people will allow this to go on, this enabling. And so I wrote about it, and I was grateful that the Washington Times picked it up, and then Tribune picked up the other article about keeping humor in tough situations. And I wrote that while I was in the hospital with Gracie. So all of these are out at the website, and I hope you'll take advantage of it and, and read and glean a little bit from what we talk about a lot on the show, but I wanted to put it in writing, and I'm very grateful for these media outlets that seem to trust me with these ideas. One of the things I don't like to write about from a caregiver-related field is that whole 
cliche of, you know, you've got to take care of yourself and all that kind of stuff. I think we can do better. I think we can go deeper. And that's what I do is spend some time understanding the, the human condition in this. In this particular article in the, in the Washington Times, I really spent some time with the human condition. These are things that drive me and what I do here on this program and everything that I do. And I, and I actually put this line in the article in the Times we are prone to deceive ourselves and others. Without objective and established safeguards, the addiction to power, fame, and money can quickly blind any of us, even to propping up someone beyond their capabilities. Do you ever see that in Washington? Do you ever see that out displayed in these well-known figures where they're propped up beyond their capabilities? And it's heartbreaking to watch, and it has uh, some very serious ramifications here. And as I close it, unlike those in elected offices, most families struggling with an impaired loved one cannot affect the nation's policies or security. In those circumstances, enabling impaired individuals can result in disastrous outcomes. And you're seeing this played out where uh, there are people in Washington now that are clamoring for Senator Dianne Feinstein to be um, transitioned out. Of course, a lot of people are calling for that for Joe Biden. And there are others, uh, senators and congressmen and men, women who have stayed so long that their, their staffers are running everything. And this enabling that we as caregivers understand, we, we found ourselves in this journey and in this role where we're trying to prop up somebody out of whatever reason. You know, we're embarrassed for them. We hurt for them. We care for them. We want to continue with their dignity. And, and I get that. Those are things that are that are very noble, but you're not helping someone if you're enabling them to inflict damage on other people. That's the whole argument of taking the keys away. And yet we have people in our nation's capital and in state houses across the country and in city halls and everywhere else who are affecting policy that affects so many people. And they're cognitively impaired. Now, we haven't even gotten to the ones that are alcoholics and addicts, nor the ones that harass their staff and all those kinds of things. There's a lot of enabling that goes on because that's the human condition. And if you go back and look in the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah said the heart is exceedingly wicked. And see, I think this is the the understanding we have as, as Christians. We understand the reality of sin. And we, if we give sin any kind of quarter, it's going to take over. We're not evolving into better people. But see, this is what the world thinks. If we can just somehow throw enough money at it, if we get rid of these dissenting views, then we can achieve this utopia that we can somehow be a better population, a better race, a better uh, whatever society. But we can't. You know, wherever two or three are gathered, there's going to be problems. And this is the human condition. We are a broken, sinful people who need a Savior. And as long as you reject the biblical worldview, you are dooming yourself and everyone else to these disastrous consequences that are played out in history over and over and over. That's the whole point of, of looking at history, is to see what happens when these things occur in our in our societies. Go back and look at the Bolshevik Revolution. Go back and look at socialism and communism and fascism, any of the isms. They're not called wasms. They're called isms because they're still around. 
And as long as we keep allowing people that do not value the Word of God to make policy decisions, we're going to have these crazy things in our culture that we're seeing every day where people don't even know which restroom to use. They don't even know who to congratulate for winning a swim meet. And it all stems down from the broken human condition that is ravaged by sin. And that's why we have a Savior. And, you know, in the the first two blocks of the program, we talk about respecting the trauma. And I think that applies to also looking at the the sin in our life and the sin in our culture and the sin in our society, respecting the trauma of what sin has done. It has permeated into everything. And I don't, I think I may have said this on a program not too long ago, but I'll, I think it bears repeating. There was um, a pastor got up, he was a Presbyterian minister, and he should have known better. And they did an investigation after a church split in, in the Nashville area. There's a big, ugly, brouhaha and they wanted to go back and see if they had made some mistakes he came back and says yeah mistakes were made we said this to the presbytery he said mistakes were made but we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves well that's the craziest thing that a reformed pastor could ever say of course we should be hard on ourselves that just flies in the face of reformed theology we should always be hard on ourselves into understanding that we are prone to these things. Like the old hymn writer says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And and so we, we look at the reality of what sin has done to the human condition, and we do not give it any quarter. We don't give it any place to rest its head because it will continue to fester. Look at what we went through over a virus that had less than 1% death rate where sin has a 100% death rate for eternity. And so, again, respecting the trauma, let's respect the trauma that has been done to the human condition by sin and then understand then that context of what it means to have a Savior. That there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And then the cross becomes that much greater in our eyes as we understand how desperate our need is and how prone we are to start enabling and, and, and propping up things just for our own benefit. Respecting the trauma is really looking at it for what it is, seeing it for what it really is. And then the, the more we see the devastation, the more we see the need the greater our cry for a Savior. But it's hard to cry out to a Savior that you don't think you need. All you need is need. And that is the message of the gospel, that He sees that need, met that need, and welcomes us into His family. That is hope for the caregiver. we got more to go. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? 
I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it, it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you can be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. You know, we've been talking about a, a heavy topic today of respecting the trauma and looking at not only our individual trauma as caregivers and our individual struggles that we have and then our societal struggles, but then the, the global struggle of sin, of what this is and the trauma that it's done and caused us. And, and how do you... How do you deal with that? Okay, so what do we do? And as we ended the last block, we talked about what the gospel meant in that. And I want to end the program with that today in something rather special. Do you know who Edwin Hatch is? Edwin Hatch. He was a a wonderful pastor, theologian, priest, um, Anglican priest, and and professor. Uh, Just an amazing academic career. And he's only known for writing one hymn. And you can go ahead and see a picture of him. You ever, you ever see the Three Stooges? He looks like Larry. You know, he's got a Larry haircut. And it's kind of rough. But uh, an amazing man. He may have written more hymns, but the only one that that he is known for is this one. And I'm going to step over to the caregiver keyboard. All right, see if you know this tune. All 
Now, when I grew up, that was the way I heard it. It was kind of plunked out. And as I got a little older, I started to play this a little differently, add a few different chords and so forth, and give it some texture because the lyrics are so wonderful. That's a major seven. And it's just a simple melody that was written by a man named Jackson. Uh, several people try to do a melody for this hymn, and this is the one that stuck. But Edwin Hatch wrote this wonderful, wonderful text. This is Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Now, why are we doing this here? Because of you know all the things we've been talking about, of respecting the trauma and so forth. I think there's a point when we realize, okay, we got a mess here. And we gotta, we got to rebuild. We've taken an assessment. We've looked at it. We've seen the carnage. We've seen the damage. And now we've got to do something different here. And that's where this text comes in. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love as you have loved and do as you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. You know, you know, people that write texts like this have spent an awful lot of time thinking about the, the things that we discussed in this program today, thinking about the trauma, thinking about the brokenness, thinking about this. How is this any different from what David wrote in Psalm 51 where he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to... The multitude of your tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. He's seeing the carnage. He's seeing the trauma. He is respecting the trauma of what he caused. And this is when he uh, had this terrible incident with Bathsheba and killed her, had her husband killed. And thought he got away with it. And then Nathan the prophet came and confronted him. And David saw it for what it is. Do we see it for what it is? Whether it's our own iniquity or just the mess that we're dealing with. Do we see it? Do we accept it? And then are we willing to say, fill me with life anew? And this is... The, the next step for us, first we have to see it for what it is, accept it for what it is. We spend so much time working ourselves into pretzels to avoid accepting what is. And as caregivers, we're afforded a different opportunity than a lot of people because we see things relentlessly. We have to come to grips with it or we'll go barking mad. When you have a chronic impairment that is every day pushing you to the limits. You're either going to lose your mind or you're going to find peace in this, no matter what's going on around you. And that peace doesn't come from within us. It comes from Him and us trusting Him with us. And this is what 
this wonderful text says of this song, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love the way you love and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. This is no different than the prayer David was praying. You're going to have to purge me with the hyssop, David said. You're going to have to do this. I don't have it in me to do this. And I think that is the, that is the place, the launching place for us as caregivers when we understand that we don't have this in us to do this. And we come to that conclusion after we sometimes have to sit in the mess, respect the trauma for what it is, see it for what it is, see the destruction, see the carnage, and then just cry out, breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew. And that becomes our prayer. And that's what this wonderful hymn writer has given us and this beautiful tune. And so I thought, okay, you know what? This is a heavy subject, I know, but we live with heavy stuff as caregivers. Okay, I get it. We do. But I wanted to end with the soothing sound of my wife singing this hymn that she sang to my mother while my mother was struggling with congestive heart failure in ICU. And I think I've played this before on the program, but it's been a while. But I wanted to end with this. So this is Gracie from her CD singing Breathe on Me, Breath of God. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until with thee I will one To do and to breathe on me, breath of God. Till I am holy, thy. Until this earthly part of me glows with thy fire.
Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with thee, the Of thine eternity. Breathe on me, breath of God. That I may love what thou dost love and do what thou would do. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.